Castle's services operate from the lands of the Dark and Young people to the south, the Awabakal people to the east, the Waramai people to the north, and the Wanarua people to the west. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of these lands where we work and live. We pay our respects to the elders of these lands, past, present, and emerging. Welcome to the latest episode of Embrace Your Otherness, Castle's inaugural podcast series. This is a space where we have both casual and in-depth conversations about disability with disability community members, leaders, activists, and look at identity, culture, work and rights with an emphasis on challenging people's perceptions and actually raising awareness about marginalised identities. My name is Brad Webb and I'm honoured to be both the CEO of Castle and your host for the podcast series. Today, we're going to be talking about the power of peer support and the role it plays in community building, advocacy, and assisting people access support they need. My guest today is David Belcher. Dave is a political scientist experienced at local, state, and federal levels, a disability advocate, activist, and community leader. He has worked widely in disability support and advocacy and understands the need to build inclusive communities where all members are valued and have an opportunity to contribute. He is a councillor at Lake Macquarie City Council, former CEO and community organiser at Community Disability Alliance Hunter, CEDAR, which is headquartered in Newcastle. Dave was born with lumbosacral agenesis and uses a wheelchair for mobility. Welcome, Dave, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brad. First of all, did I get that pronunciation right? Because I was very well, very well. Yeah, yeah I was practicing that today. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, nailed it. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit uh, before we go into peer support, just a little bit about yourself and what your journey has been to being such a prominent activist for people with disability? Yeah, absolutely. So it's um, it's a bit of an unusual one. Um, so. I grew up um, small country town in New South Wales, Scone, up the Hunter Valley. Um, you know, uh, both parents were sort of in the public system. They were, you know, a police officer and a school teacher. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was the I'm the only person in my family with a disability. Um, not really any history of disability in my in my extended family either. So. Um, my, I guess the way I was raised was, um, very much, um, not to focus on my disability. I was born in 83, um, where they, my parents sort of thought the best way was to, um, not ignore, but certainly just, you know, not, not focus on the disability and just be one of the, the, the other kids in the playground, so to speak. So to that end, you know, I attended mainstream schooling, um, both at a primary and, and secondary level. Um, and then, you know, went to university after that fact. Um, and it's, I guess, because of that kind of, um, just being one of the, one of the guys, one of the rest of the kids there, I shunned away very much from engaging with the disability community. I mean, there wasn't a large disability community in <laughs> Scone. Um, and those that were, were, um, uh, 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 older generally because, They'd had acquired disability, so motorbike accidents, rugby accidents, that sort of stuff, right? So those were more of my interactions 
with disability. And so I didn't really feel a, a connection there. And so um, I remember um, quite distinctly uh, a, 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 a local solicitor who was actually a, 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 um, a wheelchair user who had been in a car accident and become a quadriplegic, sort of encouraging me to like get involved and, and, and um, joining up with um, one of the lo- uh, one of the na- uh, the state disability um, peak organisations at that time, and I was just I just didn't see myself being a part of it. I was like, no, I don't really want to focus on my disability. So I very much was sort of wanting to, I guess, what I would have thought of achieving on my own. Um, and so I kind of you know went through my basically through my twenties thinking around that sort of way as well, and then I kind of had a bit of a a realization and it's, and it's, uh, it's really interesting because I didn't think, uh, I thought these things only happened in movies, like that kind of like light bulb, you know, interaction, the epiphany, the epiphany moment. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I, and I still remember it very distinctly. I was, um, uh, sitting in a, uh, sitting at a, a campaign launch for a local state candidate, um, that I was supporting and she was there talking about, her journey to becoming a, um, a candidate for, for state government. And she spoke about her life as a single mum, a young single mother who, because of the government assistance, had the opportunity to have put a roof over her head and feed her kids and, and you know, allow them to go to school and, and to get healthcare. And through government assistance also got to go to university and, you know, um, upskill and become a, um, a communications um, you know, uh, communications officer and, and basically political um, uh, political hack <laughs> in the best term of the word um, because of these advantages. And so she saw it as her goal to what she referred to as throwing down ladders of opportunity so other people can, can ascend. And that phrasing and that kind of, I'd never heard it phrased that way before. And that's when there's like this light bulb moment happened for me. It's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I had this opportunity to do the same because I've had ridiculous amounts of um, uh, legs up and um, 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 I'm struggling for a term here. Um, but that's support. I yeah. mean, I, I love that t- that throwing down ladders of support. Yeah. Kind of yeah. So, because you, it sounds to me like you, you awoken to your own privilege. That was it. Yeah. It's the, the privilege was the... the it, it wasn't that I was, uh, yeah, it was probably was there was an awakening to the privilege, but then also acknowledging that as well as going, yeah, listen, I was, you know, as, as at times difficult, you know, growing up with a disability in, in regional Australia is, I still had a uh, white middle class family with parents who were still married mm-hmm. who I could, you know, speak verbally without too much trouble, like, you know, still um, was, you know, wasn't, uh, didn't have an intellectual disability, so could communicate my words in a, in a, you know, a way that the general public could understand and could advocate for myself. Like I'd, I'd built that as well because of, you know, the family structure around me. And I would, I would go out on a limb here too and I, to, to suggest that I think small regional communities are much better at looking after their own and making things possible than a larger environment sometimes. Uh, uh-huh, so, yeah, yeah having, we share that growing up in a small in a small town and I saw that with on several occasions where um, a person with disability, I mean, the school needed wheelchair ramps and so the community just got together and built them. 
Yeah. You know, it was that kind of, well, we'll just get on because this is one of our own. And we'll, and, and I think that's, you get this kind of cloistered, filtered view of the world that's very different to how some people can experience it in. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, that's definitely was my experience. Yeah, I cannot say enough positive things about the community in Skye. They were phenomenal, um, still are phenomenal. I, I go back there, you know, a little bit infrequently now, but, you know, they're still always checking up how you're going, what you're up to now. And, yeah, it's real, um, yeah, uh, certainly that community was 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 baked into it. Um, so you have this epiphany mm. and then suddenly realise, okay, I've got to do something. Mm. What, were th- what were the next steps for you? Um, it kind of was, it, it was close to co- coinciding with uh, the establishment of CEDAR. So that's the Community Disability Alliance Hunter, which you, you referenced in the introduction, uh, which is a, a, a disabled people's organisation um, formed as a response to the, uh, the hunter becoming a trial site for the NDIS. So um, in the initial um, structure or, or, or planning for the NDIS, it was identified that there was a need for um, disabled people's organisations to, to establish, to basically become a, a, a voice between, um, the voice for people with disability that wasn't tied to service provision and wasn't tied to government. Right, so we kind of sit on sit in that middle ground, to being the mm. what I like to refer to as the honest broker between the two, where information can get uh, fe- freely and fearlessly exchanged without kind of anything attached attached to it. So that's really important about about Cedar's independence. And I was kind of looking for something like that, that sort of you know that coming together of people with disability for a goal uh, for a shared. Uh, community, um, which is very different to what I saw as other dis- disability organisations out there. Well, and it's easy to be tokenistic about these things, isn't it? Where you you say, "Oh, we've got a an advisory group," and uh, as a provider, and we've had yeah. this chat many times about um, uh, the the independence of Cedar and its importance. But as a provider, to go, "Oh, well, we, we've ticked that box. We've got a uh, an advisory advisory yeah. group." But Cedar's role is very different in that conversation. Isn't it? It's, yeah. it's actually the, honor, the, the, the the honest broker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, you know, when needed, we'll call out both sides. You know, like whether it's government going, you know, you got to do better at this, or if it's service providers, we'll go. You got to do better at this. This is not uh, this is not the way uh, not the way forward when it comes to a better support for people with disability. Had something like Cedar existed before, in either the hunter context or in a broader. Not, no, context. no, definitely not in the Hunter, not in Australia. Um, there was kind of variations or versions of it in the UK. So it does take a bit of like its DNA from UK style modelling where they'd had a similar but again different version of the NDIS operating in the yep. UK as well. Um, but no, it's, it's, there's a uniqueness that I really like. It's, you know, our board of directors are all people with disability, our majority of staff are people with disability. So... It's it's that lived experience stuff is something that is hard to hard to replicate. Not not something I'd seen in elsewhere. Um, and there's an authenticity to, to everything that we do yeah. based on that as well. So where do you start when you're presented with an opportunity like that? There's no blueprint for this. There's there's a bit of um, you know evidence you can go you'd look to the UK and and what people were doing over there. It's pretty much a 
blank sheet. Yeah. Where do you start with that conversation? What, what, what were the kind of core principles? The kind of So I was lucky. I think I was like one of the maybe second or third staff member brought on to, to work at Cedar. Um, and um, we, we, you know, we'd sit around literally because we didn't have an office at that point. We'd sit around kitchen table working out, okay, what does this look like? You know, what, is, what are our principles here? And it was very much... Um, um, you know, and it's become a bit cliched now within the disability space, but uh, at its core, that nothing without us, uh, nothing about us without us, was just a base tenet to to um, this stuff. So, don't don't build a policy around disability without including people with disability in the discussion. Don't set up a new program for people with disability if you've got no interest in including them in the the planning stages to that. So. We would never engage in anything that we considered tokenistic. Um, we would always be, in, uh, yeah, just just forthright and, um, and 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 authentic in the information that we would give and, and share, um, both to you know the um, the service provider world and, and government, but also to our peers as well. It's like this is the reality of the situation. This is what it looks like. Um, not sugarcoating anything at all. Um, just just calling it out for what it is. And fast forward to today, um, what what is CEDAR? What does CEDAR do? Why is it an important organisation in the context of our community? It's I, I, I've I've found it incredibly important in terms of we are often uh, the organisation that government and uh, and business come to when they want a authentic and genuine voice for people with disability um the media as well will often come to us so we had a role during the during the covid pandemic where we were a bit of a um a, a, a go-to for information when it came to to covid for people with disability there was a lot of angst and, and fear and, and rightfully so um that was out in the community around what was what was happening um and we were also the voice there that was calling out failures to properly support people with disability during that period as well and so in those kind of areas of 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 real um crisis i think cedar really showed it's it's true true value but even without the crisis aspect we're, we're an organization that is constantly um, um doing peer support and it's a really kind of a, in, uh, a, 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 an interesting term, peer support, right? It's, it's hard to define for a lot of people. And when we talk about peer support, um, particularly outside of the disability space, there's a kind of a quizzical, like, what's, what, what are we talking about here? And fundamentally, peer support, when it, as it relates to people with disability, is acknowledging that people with a lived experience of disability uh, experts in their own lives and build and bring uh, expertise to um, uh, to the world, and so that can be as simple as um, you know a, a person with disability who travels frequently, passing on some travel tips like okay this is a, this is what you need to do to book an airline if you're a wheelchair user, make sure you're there 45 minutes before the flight, you know, make sure you're doing this this and that, and it can be something as simple as that, right? But it can also be Something as fundamental as peer support opening up people's idea around them being part of a disability community. 
because so often people with disability feel isolated, um, and, you know, and very much alone and just thinking that everything that they're happening to them is because of them. Mm. It's their fault. They're broken because society has instilled this, this medical model of disability where the fact that you can't do something, it's because you are broken. It's not because the society or the structure structures around you don't facilitate you being engaged. So, so, so there's this social aspect because at the core of peer support is relationship. Yep. So you create a social aspect. Then there's the support, the education aspect. And then there's the activist mm. piece. How, do those three things sit comfortably together <laughs> for a, and, and for a newbie you know you yeah, come into for the first time to experience cedar and it, it, there's a sense of uh, okay I'll, I'll give this a go i mean how what's that look like for for an individual who encounters cedar for the first time the, the beauty about cedar is you can engage it on at any level of any stage of your journey as you want for as little or as much as you want if all you want to do is get social engagement, social interaction, coming to like a Cedar catch-up crew meeting, which is held once every Thursday at the Wicker Park Hotel. Nice little plug there. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you're absolutely entitled to do that. That's it. You know, if that's what you want from Cedar, fantastic. Great. Now, if you want um, some, some training around um, um, uh, workshop facilitation or... Um, training around what peer support is and how do I, how do I gauge it? How do I do it? Um, how do I receive it? Then there's an, there's that option there. Right. And then there is a, you know, a, a more activist aspect of it. Um, Cedar traditionally, and I still, still think so this is the case. We're very careful about the use of the term activism or advocacy because um, without wanting to get too political about this, but, you know, it's kind of the nature of who I am, though, Brad. Um, we've had a number of years now, over a decade, of government that would punish organisations who took on a moniker of being advocates or mm. activists, right? So we're very much um, about, you know, what uh, one of our, our CEO refers to it as constructive diplomacy, right? So, you know, we're, we're willing to work with you to achieve our ends, if that, you want to call that advocacy, that's fine. But it's it's about pushing the pushing the ball forward for people with disability. So you, our our membership can engage on that level as well. And you know there can be a staged approach, or you can just pick and choose. That's the beauty about it. There's not, you know, you must do this. Hmm. You know, as a CEDAR member, you can pick it. So, so, so what, and another cliche that gets thrown around is in, inclusive and inclusive communities. Uh, it would be easy to go, well, great, there's uh, a group called CEDAR and they're doing their thing and I'm in the community, I don't need to engage with that. Why Why is CEDAR important to that concept of inclusive communities? Um, I think we, we act as a good, again, I, I struggle to use the term broker, but I don't feel like there's a better terminology where if, if an organisation or a group, community group is nervous or wary about including disability because that's a lot of the the, the blockages for people mm. with disabilities is just this apprehension around disability. Mm. Then they can engage an organisation like CEDAR who will quite happily impart their knowledge and their expertise about how do I do this? Like how do I, as an organisation or as a community group, how do we be more inclusive? Mm. And, the, and we'll, we'll quite happily 
share that knowledge and information because fundamentally what we want to do is build a, a, a society where people with disability could be full and active citizens, which means there's not a necessarily focused on um, just their disability as their primary driving force, right? If you are an interest in the environment, then you should be able to go and engage with environmental groups and yeah. be environmental activists, even though you're, a, you know, you're blind or even though you're a wheelchair user or have an intellectual disability. You know, you might be an artist. You, you, you might be wanting to be creative. You should be able to engage in creativity, not in a secluded, separate disability creativity yeah. pocket, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but as just another creative at the same and equal level as everybody else in the room. I, I had a recent podcast discussion and we con touched on this this concept of disability pride and moving beyond almost apologising mm. for having a disability and being happy with the, 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 the what, what meagre offerings we're able to get and go, okay, we need to move to a position where we, we demand that, demand participation and access that in a way that opens that door. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, and, and that's yeah, that disability pride... It's starting to gain a lot more momentum, I think. Um, uh, uh, certainly, you know, I've seen it increase over the last five or six years around, yeah, no, they're, they're, we're, we're sick of apologising. It's time for, for action and time for change. Do you think organisations like CEDAR have played a role then in actually opening the community's mind to that, that conversation? I do, and it may not be at a community level... It may be at, as in, it may be not Cedar as an organisation stepping in and going, this is what you do and you fix it. But we're building the tools of self-advocacy within our membership who are then going out and demanding that stuff for themselves. So whilst we might be the organisation that forces change, we're seeding our membership out into the community that creates that change as well. Yeah. How, just before we move on to some specific examples, how do people get involved? If, if somebody's hearing this today and go, wow, I didn't know CEDAR existed, I want to be part of that. Yeah, listen, just just hit us up via uh, we've got Facebook, so CDAH on, on Facebook. If you search that, you'll find us. Um, you'll also, if you just email info at cdah.org.au, you'll, uh, you'll be able to get in contact with us as well. Um, you know, we, we send out, we've got a, a mailing list so you'll get updates on all the events that we're hosting, all the different peer groups that we're, we're doing, uh, running, um, social events, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So bring it back to, to, to you. Can, for the listener's benefit, has peer support provided an important avenue for you to make a difference in your, your, your own life? Is there an example where peer support has been a... A useful thing for you because I think people and the reason I ask that is I think people look look to you as a leader they they see what you've achieved mm. um it would be easy to go oh that's just he's got a yeah, great personality he's, he's gonna achieve which may be true <laughs> uh, yeah I mean yes the, the, absolutely I mean I, I my my knowledge of of disability has increased via peer support and what I mean by that is up for better part of 30 years, I had an idea about what disability was. And it was 
uh, educated, articulate person sitting in a wheelchair. Mm. My life's experience, right? Yeah. Now, getting to CEDA and then when you engage at a peer level with other people with disability with vastly different life experiences and vastly different um, diagnoses, then you start to understand that your perception of disability is incredibly myopic, really narrow, um, and that you have to look beyond that. And so if you're really, if you really care about inclusion, then that means everybody's included, not just you because you feel ostracized and, mm. and isolated, but it means everybody has to come with us, right? So that's the, the, the you know, people with the psychosocial disability. It's people with intellectual disability. The reason I mentioned those two specifically is because I'm often asked the question, Brad, what, um, has attitudes to disability gotten better in the, in, yeah. over the years? And my answer is honestly for some, yes. And that is people with a obvious physical disability like myself, yeah, attitudes of, of prejudice have, have dropped away, not all, but there's significant improvement in the way people with disability are, are spoken to and interacted with, except, <laughs> except when it comes to a psychosocial disability or intellectual disability. Yeah. The stigmas and challenges and, excuse me, the bullshit is still there for those people. It's an experiment I try when I, I, I meet somebody and, you know, what do you do? And I talk about working in an organisation that provides support for people with disability. And I ask them, you know, what, what is disability to you? What do you imagine? And in, invariably, it, a wheelchair user yeah. is, is and, and the role modelling and then people can, you know, they refer to Kurt Fernley yep. and Dylan Orcott and they've got, a, they've got a picture in their mind and, yeah, we're, but it's those other conversations of, well, and, and I might get to people with um, uh, who are blind yep. or people who are deaf you might get to that level but then when you start to unpack down into deeper levels and as for intellectual disability people don't no. typically don't don't go there so it's really um, I mean it, it's a vexed question this question of role modeling because it's it's important but it can also perpetuate expectations and stereotypes and absolutely we need to get a broader I, representation yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I've definitely been in conversations um, where the words, oh, well, it's okay for you, you can speak for yourself, uh, has been thrown around as a bit of a, it, it's okay to treat people that aren't verbally communicative differently because they don't communicate the same way as, as mm. you know, the mainstream does. But I can, so therefore, you know, I'm different. Like, it, it's this weird, nearly giving yourself permission to other <laughs> Even though it's a, it's disability's disability, yeah, it's really interesting. And CEDAR plays a, a, a big role. I mean, it's very um, broad in its church, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And, and in fact, you, uh, you, you've spoken at, at length to me about intellectual disability and psychosocial disability. So there's clearly a home for for every conversation in that yeah. in that environment, which must be pretty empowering for people that haven't had that voice or perceived to have that voice. But it also could be terrifying. So yeah. How, how it, does that work? It's um. I listen. I think it's great. Um. I, I really. I um. We. <laughs> uh, I want to tell an anecdote, and I'm going to try and be as opaque as I can because without you know. Um. There's a there's a an organisation that uh, approached Cedar and said, "Hey, we want to run this retreat. Um. You know, we we'd love it if, um. Uh. You know, the people." working at the retreat 
uh, because it's all about meditative and being quiet and centered and in your, you know, that kind of new age thinking stuff. We'd love it if the people working um, there were, were deaf, right? Because they thought deaf people were, were, were quiet because they didn't speak. And, you know, there was this whole bunch of ableist assumptions around this sort of stuff. And if you've ever been into a cedar office <laughs> on a Friday <laughs> when the deafblind catch-up is occurring, <laughs> it is the most raucous, loud uh, just environment you've ever been to. And it's fantastic. It, it just the the level of, of, of community that is, is established by people with the same disability coming together or people with you know, cross disabilities coming together is, is incredibly empowering. And so, I, I mean, the initial stages may be like, oh, they're different to me. But, but it's like anybody in the community. The more interaction and more engagement you have with the different, then it just becomes the normal at that point. So our, um, our deafblind uh, crew is, is, is a great testament to that. I mean, that gives rise to the question for me. That the, I mean, there are community members who genuinely have no interaction or opportunity to interact with family members, colleagues uh, who have a disability, um, whether they are visible or, yeah. or not. What can you do if you're in that situation as a community member and you go, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like the opportunity to be a little bit more um, educated to, to see this, the spectrum of what disability means and to, and to, to play a role as an ally. Is there a, a, a space for people to, to do that? It's not really. And I'm a bit hesitant to talk on it in terms because in a, in a way people with disability don't want to be your teachers either so there's a bit of aspect of take your own responsibility go out like on the web or you know there's you know there's there's stuff out there just search it if you search for you know disability groups or disability peer groups or you know disability inclusion you'll find information out there that can start to to build your knowledge and if you do um if you don't have any interaction or engagement with people with disability in your workplace, maybe ask those questions about why that's the case. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, why don't we employ people with disability? Why is this, you know, there's 30 of us here. Why are none of us, do we have a disability? Sometimes you actually do and that they're not feeling comfortable or safe to acknowledge that they do have a disability too though, Brad. So that's a, that's a, a an important point to make as well. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I am always nervous about, um, yeah, I guess people with disability being put in that role of teaching continuously. Like I'll take that on. I'm fine with it because mm. that's I, I understand that role and I'm happy in that space. But that's not everyone everyone's space. So um, I, I, I'm asked the question often, what do I do if I see a – if my son or daughter is in the, in the supermarket – and they point at a person with disability and go, "Mummy, what's what's up? You know, what's wrong with him, or whatever the case may be." And uh, my response to what do you do in that scenario is, it's always contextual. It depends on a number of factors, which is, does the person is the person there look like they're you know uh, comfortable to engage? You know, are they busy? Are they like madly shopping and don't really have time to stop and? you know, describe what's happening, you know, right there. 
oh, what's what's you know what their um, diagnosis is. Um, never do that without a child. By the way, if it's just an adult approaching you to ask that question, it's yep. just it's so weird and wrong. And it's, yeah, but you know, if you have got a young person there, then that's a different different kettle of fish. But it's important to know that the interaction that you think you might have mightn't be the one you'll get. So if the person goes, no, go away, that's a totally legitimate reaction for that person with disability to have and actually don't owe you an explanation or a, or a, or a, a teaching moment in that space. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be frank, it'd be weird if you, you had a tattoo and somebody said, what's that, and started wanting to ask you exactly. questions. Yeah, the same exactly. principle. But, yeah, th- there's an interesting aspect to disability where uh, in a lot of ways we are public property, right? So there is a, like, I've been, you know, asked incredibly inappropriate questions, you know, in public spaces by, you know, guys who think, it's okay because, you know, I'm just trying to learn and mm. get to know you. And I'm like, well, why do you need to know how to go to the bathroom? Like, <laughs> yeah. like how is that in any way going to help you get through life? You know, like it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's odd. I, I um, point people quite a lot to the Black Ink publications, you know, Growing Up Disabled in Australia and Parenting uh, with a Disability because I find, one, they're authentic voices of people telling their own story. So mm. there's a... There's an opportunity to learn without actually being confronting and there's there's permission to learn from yeah. people. Then there's also, and I, I, I struggle with this personally at uh, at various levels, various shows that, um, you know, the, the, the dating on the spectrum and you can't ask that. Mm. And on the one hand, I look at that and there's a, a great um, education opportunity. On the other, I... So it seems exploitative mm. um, and there's probably some truth in, in, in all of that. Mm. Uh, do you think they're a valuable tool that kind of is, is all visibility good visibility? Um, no, I, I, I share your struggle <laughs> and I definitely go from one side to the other um, on that. Um, I... Firstly, no, not all exposure is, is positive. That's absolutely not the case. Um, there's a movie coming out um, soon. It's got Woody Harrelson in it and it revolves around him teaching or coaching a, a bunch of kids who look like they have an intellectual disability. And I'm pretty nervous about it because it's mm. a comedy. And now the kids, the, the young people in it, do look like they are actually people with an intellectual disability. So you go, well, that's jobs, right? Like that's kind of cool. Um, in a real Hollywood movie, that's going to be out. Um, but is this, what, what impact will it have on, um, on public perception or either embedding negative stereotypes or just general, not even negative, just general stereotypes, um, or will it, you know, um, change people's perceptions around, you know, people with, with intellectual disability? So I'm kind of waiting with bated breath on that one to see what that plays out like. But in terms of like, <clears throat> you know, dating on the spectrum, if, if people are going in, con- like understanding what, it's, what it is and consenting to be a part of it, and as long as it's not exploitative 
in the worst sense. Like there's there's always going to be some exploitation because anytime you put people in front of a camera, there's 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 an exploitative aspect to it, right? Um, but if if then yeah, it's 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 tricky. Is where I'm landing mm, on this. Mm. I'm, I'm not no, really no, forming a a hard position, and I don't think I don't think I should either, um, because there's really an individual choices around that stuff. But yeah, I'm, what what bugs me more is um, um, uh, disability portrayed on screen by people who don't have disability. Yeah, that's yeah. that that yeah. is that's the real exploitation stuff, right? Like there were some really horrendous movies coming around, like around you know people who had um, you know disability and and were were wanting to like you know kill themselves and having their girlfriend kill kill them and you know and that's that's pretty confronting, mate. Like that's that's pretty bad stuff. And when it's done by an actor that does not have a disability, that's just straight out of exploitation. Yeah, I think, and it's easy. I think my yardstick is um, the degree to which I'm moved by pity <laughs> the, I like heart, that, yeah. the heartwarming yeah, story yeah, yeah, and being yeah, moved yeah. by pity I mean yeah. veers more to exploitation to me I mean if I see a, a, a portrayal or a conversation where you are clear that the person who is in at the center of that has agency and has the ability to have their their true voice heard yeah. and have it not um, produced and manufactured to be something else that's going to evoke a re- response in people. Mm. And some of the best ones I've seen have, have been in some of the you can't ask that is where, oh, God, I actually think you're awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you've taught me something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, yeah. you're going, actually, that's yeah, we, we, you're not the kind of person I'd hang out with. No, but, that's right. But exactly. you had something to say and you, and you taught me something. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, coming back to peer, peer support, um, you would – you would have seen a whole range of people join CEDAR, fresh-faced and mm. kind of apprehensive. Some fairly transformative uh, experiences as, as a result of peer support. Are there any that you can share that come to mind where you think that, that it's, CEDAR has been a profound impact on mm. somebody's life? Oh, 100%. Um, I, I, um, and she won't mind me saying this because it's been quite open and it's spoken publicly about it. Um, but there's a, there a, a woman, Erin, she came to us, uh, came to Cedar, um, and was just about to move into a group home. Um, was still living at home with her parents, about to move into a group home. Incredibly nervous, apprehensive, very shy, wouldn't talk. Um, uh, you know, was really self-conscious about, um, her speech. Um, and over, you know, years, it doesn't happen overnight, it's a, progressive thing um where and being a part of cedar and you know engaging with cedar is now um a leader within the cedar community he sits on our board so this woman has an intellectual disability sits in our board um is was a a a convener of speak up hunter which is our um, intellectual disability peer group and it's just a, a a force of nature and she honestly talks about the transformative impact that Cedar had on, you know, in, in showing her what it, what she was capable of, of, of achieving. So yeah, she's, she's, she's been amazing. Um, yeah. Um, we I look at people like, uh, Susie who now runs our, our training. Um, she's a, um, a blind indigenous woman, um, who, uh, is just found 
a place where she is respected and given, you know, and has responsibility and, and has a job that she finds meaningful and rewarding um, and is, you know, just seen again as a leader within a, within the disability community, established CEDA's first women's group, women's peer group, um, which, you know, that's a, a real um, game changer for, for CEDA was these kind of peer groups around um, not necessarily a specific disability, but around uh, either a shared interest or a shared um, uh, something shared about themselves in as as a person as an individual. So we have you know a, a queer peers group. Um, we have uh, a housing group for people who are you know in you know struggling with housing issues or, or want to get you know get more information around housing. Have an employment peer group. So there's a lot of you know different the, these peer groups and what's happened is each one of these conveners, as soon as you've you've they've established this thing, they've they've taken ownership of them and you see them just excel after that mm. into that leadership role and it's phenomenal to watch. It really is. I think intersectionality is a really interesting yeah. part of that conversation, isn't it? And you made reference to it before, where uh, and, and in growing up that you know the. Your disability wasn't your core component that by any means yet. No. Uh, for some people, there's that perception that it is, and there's actually a whole range of we're full, varied, complex human beings with a full range of uh, differences to others and similarities to others, yeah. and, and finding that intersectionality. So there's a home for that in CEDA. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're really really big on that intersectionality, um, and it's sort of. And we're starting to get more and more um, known around out what CEDA can bring in that space. So, for instance, Susie, another, you know, um, uh, has been in connection and in conversation with a number of, of um, women's groups and groups around uh, domestic violence and stuff and sort of highlighting the issues that are specific to disability in that space as well. Mm. So, and those groups are uh, engaging with CEDA to work out how best to support people with disability who who go through, um, you know, uh, those kind of um, uh, really difficult life experiences. Yeah. And and I think I'll know the answer to this question. But is there is 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 there a set of characteristics that make a, a good peer support or a good convener? Um, yeah, it's, it's, there kind of is. And, and one of the interesting aspects is we, if you want to be a convener, we kind of heavily suggest, and most do, going through our introduction to peer support. Because what happens then, Brad, is it lays a bit of a, like a base level of knowledge and information and that is shared amongst CEDA. So these are our core tenants. This is what we believe. This is why peer support's important. These are the things that you have to bring to peer to peer support to be to be good at it for it to be effective. You know, and it's things like uh, being accountable, right? Mm -hmm. Being um, uh, open and transparent. Being um, truthful um, in in yourself and in the information you're providing um, and meeting people at the level that they're at at that time. So no one that attends CEDA comes fully formed in terms of yep. 
their disability politics or the way they see themselves within the community. Um, nor do we expect that. But there is, you know, um, so it's up to us as an organisation to to work with them to 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 bring them along that journey and show them the, the, the kind of the opportunities that, that exist when you understand that you're part of a disability community and a broader broader movement. Mm. So in terms of like characteristics, I guess, you know, so many different people, like in, in, from the outside, you're like, no, because yeah, our, um, <laughs> our conveners are men, women, multiple different disabilities, uh, different age groups, like it's 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 all over the place, which is fantastic, and it kind of shows the strength of Cedar in terms of we are not there's nothing monolithic about what we're doing or yeah, homogenous. Yeah. It's sort of very very diverse. Yeah, it, uh, I'm conscious. I, I mean, every time I sit down with you, I come away having learnt something new, uh, and. And I really value those conversations. And I know we could talk for ages. So I'm going to ask one open-ended question before I start to wrap up. And that, is there anything else that you think people should know about CEDAR, should know about peer support um, that will make a difference to, to them today? What you should know is that everybody is welcome at CEDAR. Um, we don't ever discriminate on disability. There's no hierarchy of disability. Um, we... There is no age limit as well. So you don't have to be on the NDIS. You don't have to be a part of the system. If you have a disability and identify as a person with disability, you will you have a, have a place with CEDAR. Now, in that place, you'll, I believe you'll, you'll understand again that you exist within a broader disability community that uh, does have pride around their disability, that is strong, that has capacity beyond what is thought by the general public, um, that wants to see real and meaningful change within their community so that um, the disability community are included as equal and full citizens um, with the same rights and, and responsibilities as everybody else living in Australia. Mm. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about CEDAR. I've watched the organisation for years uh, with a great deal of respect and seeing the kind of output into the community that that the organisation has made, having had the opportunity to, to, to attend some of your events, to be par part of that conversation has been really um, yeah, educational and, and humbling for me as part of my journey to becoming a better and more inclusive person. I'm going to finish by asking you the question I ask all of our guests and uh, that the, the theme of this podcast series is Embrace Your Otherness. What does embrace your otherness mean to Dave Belcher? It's a great question, Brad. Um, embracing the otherness. I think for me it's understanding that it's you are, are an individual with, you know, quirks and interests and, and likes and dislikes and expertise and failings and all that kind of stuff and, and kind of being okay about that. Um I think it'd be a really boring world if it were the same and, and just cookie cutter, um, you know, uh, reproductions of, e of each other. And I think that's the beauty around the disability space is, is that uh, we are constantly seen as other 
and just being able to go, well, yeah, we are, but you are other as well in a different, in a different lens. So, um, yeah, I think that's where I'm at with that, embracing the otherness. That's fantastic, Dave. Thanks so much again for uh, being part of today's podcast. It's rad.